Kelsey, appreciate you two more than you can know. Join me in the book of Mark, if you would. Mark chapter 4. I'm going to just jump right in and begin reading this passage. It's a long one. It goes from verse 1 all the way down to 20, and then we'll get started right after that. This is the word of the Lord for us, His people. Again, He began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about Him, so that He got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And He was teaching them many things in parables, and in His teaching He said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the the word is sown. When they hear... Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is the word of the Lord for us, his people. May we have ears to hear what the Lord is speaking. My dad was a master storyteller. Especially when he would tell stories that were actually disguised, or jokes in disguise, I should say. And, and one of my favorite ones that he would tell was a, was a story about a polar bear and a radio. And these polar bear, this polar bear and radio were stuck on an iceberg, and the whole story is woven to kind of tell their story. Eventually they separate and finally they come back together. And the best part of the entire story, or the joke rather, was that it was totally 
an inside joke with absolutely no punchline. I can still see him. I mean, he'd just weave this story and drag people along and carry out all this story until he finally built up to the final zinger that was his just delivery of the end line here. And if you were in on the joke, you knew the last line of the joke. And you knew that when you heard the last line of that joke, he was going to bust out with a belly laugh and everyone else who was in on the inside joke was going to also, pretending to know and understand the deeper meaning of this joke, it, it never failed. It, it, it was just kind of a uh, party pleaser, at least for some of us who were on the inside. But actually, the joke wasn't in the joke. The joke was in the people that were hearing it for the first time and having that confused look upon their faces. They wanted to laugh. Everyone else is laughing because something clearly is funny, but admittedly, they were outsiders looking in. They were outsiders looking in. The book of Mark seems to highlight a lot of people, not because they're hearing a joke, but it highlights a lot of people who were outsiders looking in. So far we've seen and watched the size of crowds continue to grow and grow that wanted to see and follow Jesus or hear from Jesus. Everywhere he goes, people gather wanting to get something from him, healing, right? Or watch him do some incredible feats like uh, casting an unclean spirit out of a person or watching a miraculous miracle that's happening for someone else, right? Or, or they just wanted to hear what he had to say. I mean, his teaching was, in fact, as we've seen, different than that of the scribes because he taught as one who had authority. And along the way, we've seen other things, right? We've, we've watched opposition against Jesus grow. Scribes happen to think that he's possessed by Beelzebul, which you learned last week. And, and his own family think he's, he's lost his mind. He's out of his mind and, and crazy. Why were some people outsiders looking in? Albeit, seemed to be a large group that were outsiders looking in. And, and why were others insiders enjoying and following what Jesus is talking about? It's almost like they're getting it, right? Though They'll get it progressively and they would gain insight as they go. But why, why this picture of contrast? Well, in this morning's passage, Mark lets us in on the answer to that question. And I'm anxious to look at it. Um, and I'm anxious for it not just to be a factual thing we learn from this parable in Mark chapter 4 and his explanation of it, but something that encourages our heart in Christ and in the gospel. As we jump in, would you bow your heads with me and let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Lord Jesus, many of us have come here this morning with distracted minds. We've arrived in this place with obstacles that might pre prevent us from hearing what we need to hear. Spirit, would you help us listen? Jesus, would you help us hear what you would have us hear from your word? Help me, Lord, by your spirit to be clear so as to preach this passage with power and with boldness all the while being a good listener as well. Would you help us in this, we pray? In Jesus' name, amen. 
breaking this passage up into three parts. It, it is just easily to see the divisions of this passage as you're reading it along. The first one that I'm going to point out is Jesus' use of a parable. We'll see that in verses 1-9. through nine. We'll then look at Jesus' rationale for the use of all parables in 10, 11, and 12. And then Jesus will give an explanation of this parable. Um, so I'm looking forward to walking through it. Look at verse 1. Again, He began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. Notice the plural nature of that word. Let me take a moment and talk to you just a little bit about classrooms and methods that Jesus employed classrooms and methods because there's been a shift all of a sudden. Mark tells us that Jesus began to teach by the sea. Now without a battery-powered Bose speaker and plug-in microphone, how is Jesus going to communicate in such a way as to be audibly heard by the great multitude? And I, I don't know if it's thousands, but it is such that he's got to take an alternative route by which he can communicate to all these people. So sitting in a boat off the shore, Jesus was able to speak to this multitude so that they could hear him project, even though they might not be able to hear what he meant. It has nothing to do with volume at that point, but we'll see that as we go on. Look at verse 2. In verse 2, Mark tells us that Jesus was teaching many things in parables, as you've seen in chapter 3, this isn't the first time that Mark or that Jesus is employing parables, but it is the first time that Mark chooses to use a full parable to, to introduce Jesus' teaching method. Um, and he's choosing to do this, he's choosing to use this one out of what no doubt is a larger collection of parables that either Peter or Mark and Peter would have heard Jesus teaching. So it it kind of begs the question for us to just ask and answer quickly, what is a parable, right? A parable was really a story from everyday life that illustrated a moral or spiritual lesson, right? So Jesus would borrow object lessons that people were familiar with. Uh, In this case, it's it's sowers and seeds and and fields and soils and all these things, but it's not limited to that throughout the New Testament. But he does use object lessons that they were familiar with and then try to use those to get his spiritual point across. And in truth, with eyes to see and ears to hear, there is no earthly thing which is not able to put us in mind of some heavenly thing. All right, so as we're, we're seeing some earthly objects or earthly um, uh, illustrations or whatever that we have going on in, in life, it, it, it has the ability to point us to heavenly things that God would have us know using those as tools. And Jesus was a master at using those devices to get his point across. Now this morning we're looking at one of the most famous of Jesus' parables. It's found in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And you could, one could make an argument that it could easily be referred to as the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils 
or the parable of the seed as all three of them are expressly illustrated in this thing. And, and I wouldn't have a need to stand up and argue against whatever you landed on that. All three of them are majorly important and, and carry with it the weight that Jesus is hoping to get us across. Or to get across to us, I should say. And because of its understandable message, so it's, it's not rocket science to read through this and see what the big picture is and what he's trying to get across to the people, right? But because of its understandable message, one ancient writer said about this parable that it really needs more application than it does explanation. The importance of the application is seen in what Jesus uses as bookends that we see in verse 3 and in verse 9. So if I could direct your attention to that, we'll move from classrooms and methods to the area of bookends that are just evidently right there for us to see. Notice, Jesus' parable begins in verse 3 with the summon, listen. And I don't know if, if this is just, hey, I'm out here on the boat and I want you to hear what I'm saying, or it is just an emphatic thing that turn your ears on, and by God's grace, may your ears give a highway straight from your ears and mind to your heart that you might be impacted by what I'm saying from this boat in water. It ends with the summons, listen, and it ends, verse 9, with a similar summons to hear. Listen, hear. So you've got these words in verse 9, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. So the same imperative will occur 10 different times in Mark chapter 4 alone. So Mark who's put all this together, frankly, out of order. This parable comes later in the other synoptics, but he's putting it first to get this point across. But all throughout chapter 4, you'll see this imperative here, here, here. And it comes 10 times in this one. Now the student of the Bible would hear that word here and see it multiple times throughout chapter 4 and, and may go back to Israel's confession that we see in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hearing, or maybe we would be better off to use the word heeding, not just hearing, but doing. Heeding required engagement. And that engagement was a spirit-enabled receptivity to what Jesus was saying. And frankly, things are no different today. I don't know how many uh, occasions you've had to share the gospel with some of the same people over and over and over and over again until by God's grace there is a time where the receptivity by the Spirit enables them to hear it as if they're hearing it for the first time. Hearing and heeding is a Spirit-enabled um, gift and grace. Hearing. Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, for faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. Some additional introductory words here. We've, we've looked at classrooms and methods. We've, we've checked out these bookends. Let's take just a moment to consider seeds and soils. Seeds 
and soils. Frankly, the sower scattering seeds, but the parable is about seed. The parable itself was about a sower that went out to scatter seed. He scattered the seed wherever he, he might have the opportunity and wherever he had a hope that, or that it might have a chance to sprout up so, so as to grow and produce a crop. He is liberal in his scattering. Probably he would have scattered and then tilled later so that it could work its way into the ground. But nonetheless, he is scattering and casting seed. Some of the seed fell upon rock-hard paths. And the birds of the air would land down on that thing and because the seeds couldn't penetrate into the ground, they would snatch it up and devour any chances that that seed might have to grow deep and produce something. Some of the seeds, as the parable says, it fell on rocky ground. And that seed was subject to a, a root system that would just kind of trickle down a little bit, but it would be too shallow to uh, give any substance to the plant itself. It might sprout quickly, but it would die out after the sun beat it down and trampled it to an oblivion. There simply was not enough depth of soil to sustain it. And some of the soil, and if you're keeping percentages up, we've, we've covered 50% of this soil that's having little to no effect here. But some of the soil would fall in the midst of thorny ground and thorny soils. And as it grew up, it would be choked out by the vines and the thorns so as to render the seed fruitless. And finally, in this parable that Jesus says, having prefaced it with listen and concluded it with hear, He comes up with this fourth batch and round of seed and soils. Not fourth batch of seed, but soil. He says, and he is speaking to this last one. And he's saying, then there's this fourth soil that was sown um, in good and fruitful soil. Fertile soil, as I like to refer to it. Which produced grain that produced a crop which was 30%, 60%, and 100% fold. And after Jesus shares this parable, he, he concludes the bookend. As we've already mentioned, and it says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now last week, I was super proud of Pastor Mark. Anytime you can use as an illustration an oatmeal cream pie with conviction and passion, you run with it. And he did so to show this teaching and writing method that Jesus had where he introduces a... I'm sorry, Mark had. Where he introduces a subject and before concluding the subject, inserts something else which seems a little typically out of order here, but then he comes back with this. This is loosely another apparatus of that. Because what you have here is a change in scenery. Whereas he's gone from the crowd and there's no mention of him going anywhere else, but the following word says, and then, in verse 10, he was alone. And he's surrounded not by the crowd, but by his twelve and other disciples. So think of this as the inside portion of a sandwich lesson um, as you were introduced to last week. But let's, let's jump now into what that is, where Jesus now gets to share with His closest, or with His disciples, His followers, His rationale for using parables. And it's here that I hope to uh, spend the bulk of my time, so if you'll bear with me. First off, I want you to see this group inquiry. Doesn't appear to be a need to talk one person into being the spokesman for the group. All of the people here are interested in this question. 
So they come up to Jesus in this alone time and ask Him about the parables. Again, notice the plural nature of this. So they are interested and they ask Him about Jesus' use of parables. Mark's putting this here, so it'll give us a key to understanding the rest of His writings throughout this way. They asked Him about the parables in general, And no doubt, based on Jesus' answer, which follows in verse 13, he takes the opportunity to answer also the um, specific and particular answers related to the parable of the soil. So you've got to kind of have that in your head for just a moment. He's, He's been asked about parables in general. He'll speak to that. He's obviously asked about this parable in particular because... From 13 to 20, he speaks to that as well. Um, Sorry for geeking out on you there just for a moment. Let's look at Jesus' response. Notice what Jesus says to their question. Jesus answered by saying, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. This is a parable about the kingdom of God, and by God's grace, The mystery or the secret. Paul uses the word mystery, so I'll use them interchangeably. The mystery of the redemption of man and how it would be revealed to those by faith that are responding um, by grace and through grace for salvation. Now the ESV uses the word secret. The term secret, so he says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. The term secret refers to A mystery that's been hidden in the past that's now been revealed to those who are responding by faith. So something's going on spiritually by which the recipient of the seed, it's landed in fertile soil, prepared by the Spirit, so that all of a sudden, or by in God's timing, that secret, that mystery has been revealed to their hearts and they respond in kind. Now in our culture, we love, I love, Most of us love a good mystery, right? At our house, we'll watch some old mysteries, and it's fun to be the person who just kind of answer bombs in the room while everyone's watching it. Yeah, I know what's going on. I know what's happening. And then you just hope you're right, right? And to prove it, you usually say something about it. Um, But we like to figure out the answer before the story's concluded, right? Jesus is not talking about something that man could figure out, but something that is divinely revealed as a grace and gift from above. That's why I really like the word secret better than the word mystery. Although again, um, I don't think it's necessary to split hairs about that. Notice what Jesus says. And remember to whom He is talking. This isn't the crowd. This is the twelve along with other disciples that are alone with Jesus and have asked this question. He says this, To you, to you, disciples, additional disciples who are with Him, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom. Now some of the crowds, now now I'm referring to the crowds, some in the crowds had rejected Jesus in essence. They had blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. Mark mentioned, Pastor Mark mentioned uh, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit just in the section prior to this, right? So they have rejected Jesus. And in essence, they're blaspheming against the Holy Spirit 
through that rejection to them would be an eternal curse. To those who received Jesus as the Christ, think Peter's um, affirmation and testimony in Mark chapter 8, to those who would receive Jesus as the Christ, eternal life. You've got this juxtaposition that's now on full display. Curse, life. Death, life, curse, blessing. Which brings up another question. Why would some people respond to Jesus rightly and others reject Him? Specifically, I have no idea. That is known by the wisdom and mind and heart of God and it's brought about by God whose ways are not our ways and whose thoughts are not our thoughts, right? Isaiah 55, again. But generally, Jesus answered this question which I just posed by quoting an Old Testament prophet. Look with me at what he says in Mark 4, verses 11 through 12. I said 11, but I mean 12. The whole quote's right there. Well, I'll just pick it up at 11. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom, but for those outside, everything is in parables. Why? So that. Here's the purpose behind what's going on in things being said in parables. That they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So in other words, the, the nature of the parable had a purpose. It's not just to be used as a trendy illustration that's used from object lessons so they could get a spiritual point. That's part of it. But clearly now Jesus is telling him that the rationale behind parables is more than just that. So here Jesus is quoting from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. And the context of Isaiah chapter 6 contains this glorious vision that Isaiah received in which he saw the Lord and His glory. And it was a beautiful thing and it broke him. And he winds up face down on the ground declaring the truth which was, I am, a, I am an unclean, I am a man of unclean lips. And he received um, the a beautiful word of grace uh, right in that moment. Despite... Isaiah's vision which he saw and his subsequent message which he would go and share, God warned him before he left that that time and area and the hearing uh, from the Lord that Israel, God's chosen people, God's covenant people, would not listen. And their defiant rejection and frankly their spiritual deafness would justify Judgment. This is exactly what now is taking place generations later in the day of Jesus. Grasping this and what's going on here with Jesus' use of parables as more than just an illustration or a picture and seeing that it is really a twofold purpose, I'll tell you what those two things are in just a second, is key to understanding His purpose in using all the parables. So this additional purpose 
of parables then was twofold. It was to reveal, this is a good way to remember parables, it was to reveal as well as to conceal. The reality of the first is that parables revealed truths and truth to those who had ears to hear. So in other words, they were believing by faith through grace. But it was, they were also purposed to conceal truth from those who were not. So those who were rejecting the truth, did not have ears to hear, um, parables were a form of judgment. And that's what's going on here. And Jesus puts, or Mark, includes that little middle portion of the sandwich here to, top part was to go over the parable, then give the rationale of all parables, and then to follow that up then with an explanation for the use of this parable. Okay, so let's, let's go on now, having kind of reviewed the rationale there, to Jesus' explanation for the use of this parable. Look at verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? That's how you know the rationale previously given was for all of them, right? He wants them to have from the meaning of this one the key to unlock all of them. Let me take five seconds here. The word understand is used twice in this verse. Two different Greek words are used each time. The first use of the word understand. This is extra and free, I might add. You can have a donut for this one. The first use of the word understand here in this passage is really a cognitive knowledge. Do you get it? He's saying. Do you get it? If you don't get it, understanding, knowledge-wise, how will you then experientially understand what I've come here to do and communicate about the kingdom throughout all of the parables. One is cognitive, one is experiential through knowledge. Let's move on. So Jesus then goes back to the parable of the soil found in verse 13. And he explains it specifically. I won't spend long here, but let me just say um, a couple things here. As R.C. Sproul kind of has helpfully taught the mystery, the secret. Interchange, I'm intentionally interchanging those words because I hope your mind goes to Ephesians chapter 1 where we memorized what the mystery of God revealed to us as the redemption of people which was brought to fruition that Jesus might be head overall is coming to your mind here. But the mystery of the parable is not its moral teaching about the hardness of human hearts. The mystery is to be found in this paradox. This paradox about the coming of God's reign, the coming of God's rule, the coming of God's kingdom as identified by the scattering of this fragile seed. The Word. Jesus is standing up and the very first thing that Mark is including in his thing is Jesus is teaching on seed. Flying around. And some people being the recipients of that in soil, and that giving birth and rise to a duplication and multiplication that's 30, 60, 100%, 100-fold. And Jesus said, this is the kingdom. Why else? I mean, how weird is it 
that our Savior decides to manifest Himself here as a baby that needs his diaper changed. That's, that's not exactly power embodied, is it? It's, it, is, it is miraculous that God would choose this manner to reveal our, our Messiah and Savior. So this is the mystery and the paradox of this coming of God's reign and rule, His kingdom, and, and relating that with a fragile seed, His word that will not return void. The Son of Man, to whom was given all authority on earth, appears as Jesus of Nazareth and is desperately needy of his mother to sustain him physically with milk and dress and all of the things that he needed physically. But the coming of the kingdom is not going to be, as it progresses, it's not going to be equally visible to everyone. Scribes will reject it as bogus. Scribes will say, that guy is possessed by Beelzebul. His own biological family is going to say, he is nuts. So there's, there's something going on here that Mark is wanting us to see, and it's this big picture of the kingdom of God is all of God, and it's for His people who have ears to hear. Listen. There have always been, and there will always be people with unreceptive hearts that find themselves on the outside looking in and feel like they're calling their own shots. Any dead fish can go with the flow. But any dead person can be raised to life through Jesus and His miraculous work that He brought forth from the cross. Because with people, those with ears to hear, Jesus' rationale for the use of parables in general, and this particular in particular, unveils the mystery. It unveils the secret of redemption that's hidden in the person of Jesus Christ, who is at the moment standing in a boat talking about sowers sowing seeds. And people in the crowd are saying, Isn't he a great teacher? He captivates me when he speaks. I can't get enough of what he says. There's something different about that. And then they go to have lunch unimpacted and unaffected. Salvation is of grace. And it's a glorious work of the Spirit for those who are being saved. Thanks be to God. Let's talk for a moment based on his explanation about a word about soils. And again... Time's escaping here, and it won't allow me to comment a lot about the different types of soils. It, it may be very obvious to you anyway. But evidences of different soils are all around us. They're exhibited in all of us. And in one way or another, they've been realities in our own hearts before God saved us by His grace. There's four soils mentioned in the first part. Four soils um, explained in the second part, hardened soil, rocky soil, thorny soil, and finally, fertile soil. Hardened soil. Those people who appear to have absolutely no interest in the Word, the Gospel, or the Lordship of Jesus. They may be scattered in the pews of our churches all across our country, all across the world. They may be there because mom asked them to, or if, you, or if their wife said, Hey, if you'll come this Sunday, 
I'll have a great lunch for us when we get back. And all, who knows why, what their motivation was for coming. But by all, in, all practical reasons, they would be representative of soils of heart that are so hardened that when the word, the seed, is cast, it falls upon hardened soils that has no chance to fall into the ground, germinate, produce any crop because birds come up and snatch it was the first thing we heard. But now we see Jesus is given greater clarity that in fact, it's Satan who's doing the snatching and keeping them um, from hearing the soil. What do we do about this, believer? We pray. We pray and we keep liberally casting seed because we realize that we too were dead in our trespasses and sins until that time by His grace, like Paul on the road to Damascus, He awakened us to our need for the Gospel and we responded in faith to follow Jesus. Don't give up. Don't give up if your family member, your neighbors, your cousins, your great uncle who lives in a country somewhere else down in in some other place and you've shared and you've shared and you've shared and they would rather flip you off than bend their knee. Keep praying. Keep casting. Keep trusting. Second soil is a rocky soil. And these are people who have just enough soil amidst the rocky soils of their hearts so as to taste the emotion of religion, yet never experience conversion of heart. We have these people in our lives. When things get hard by way of tribulation, by way of persecution, those who were responsive at first or even receptive to our conversations about the gospel or even sitting in our pews, listening, participating, part of teams. When those things come up, they are, and they find that the luster fades of their religion, they simply fall away. Shannon and I moved into North Georgia to make new friends as new neighbors so that by God's grace we can have conversations as often as we can. Having neighbors into our home and us into their yard so that we can cast seed. I was uh, in the front yard of one of our neighbor's house and he was on the mower and I know that his, his life and his testimony is anything but Christian. But he shared some things about his life and it was kind of a dumpster fire story that he was telling me and it was all over his face. And when he finished, I said, hey, you may not think too much about this, but would you be open for me praying for you right now? And he said, it, it threw him. And, uh, and I get that that's kind of weird. But uh, he said, well, yeah, I guess. Took his hat off and uh, I prayed. And when I have occasion to pray like that, I'm not just praying for the situation. I want to pray to include the content of the Gospel. I want to thank the Lord in my prayer for and over this person, the content of the Gospel, so that it's in His hearing. I mean, when I finished, he's wringing his hat in his hand. He said, hey, that felt good. And that was far from funny to me. It was just evident to me that sometimes rocky soil is a place that seeds can fall and sprout with some feelings of emotion, but until God continues to do a work, and until God continues to draw and woo, rocky soils are just rocky soils that eventually the sun 
scorches out the seed and there's no growth. Does that discourage me? Well, really, no. It just tells me that, God, you're still, Lord willing, doing a work. And you've still called me to cast seed. The third one is a thorny soil. And these are people who have given assent to the Lord and His Word. They show seasons of understanding. They may even have a a strong mental grasp on what's being talked about, but there's something in their life that seems to take place and precedent over the seed of the Word that they've, they've latched hold of at different seasons of their life. And of course, you know from the reading that that's the deceitfulness of riches. Instead of hungering for righteousness, they long for the things of the world and they don't see how their friendship with the world actually puts them at enmity with God. What do we do, believer? We pray. We continue to beg God for opportunities and answers. We continue to open up our homes whereby conversations can be furthered. And we we ask for the Lord to open up a willingness for the Word, the seed, to continue to be scattered and even talked about, even having a discovery Bible studies or whatever it is in your home, so that by His grace, that Word can penetrate penetrate through the things. Not because we're good. Not because we're good at explaining. But because we're trusting that the God who revealed the secret of the kingdom of God to us will do the same by His grace for those with whom He's planted us around. And of course, Jesus highlights those with fertile soil. Those within whom He's prepared the soil to receive deeply implanted the Word so that it might grow and produce abundantly. I could talk a lot about these four soils and would love to do so more, but for now, as I close, let me just share with you a word of application. Some of which I've already scattered into this message, and I didn't realize I would do it as I went. Um, But I, I do want to tell you that this parable, in addition to being a key to understanding all the parables, it actually encourages me greatly. Ultimately, you and I can cast the seed of the Word as liberally as the sower in the parable. And you and I can have confidence that the condition of the soil upon whom it lands and what happens as a result is a work of the Holy Spirit of God. And He has planted us, I use the word intentionally, in different places, be it your neighborhood, your work, your school, or an airplane like I found myself in on Monday night. Monday night I'm flying home with some friends from Phoenix. And I've got my iPad right there in front of me. And this old guy has words that I can enlarge. I went, and I'm reading these things. And a flight attendant walks from the back to the front. And she stops. And it's a busy little flight. People are going everywhere. And I've got a crowd of people in the chairs all around us. Some are friends and some I don't know. And she says, excuse me, sir. Can I ask you what you're reading? Is that the Bible? And I said, well, actually, it's a book about the Bible. Um, And I go on to tell her a little bit about that. And she then, as if with a microphone, she begins to tell me a little bit about the concerns going on in her life and how she's finding the Bible and a book she's reading on finding her purpose. And the Bible is encouraging her deeply with all that's going on in the world. And then... 
I've never had this. I've been on a lot of airplanes. But this, this lady leans down to me and whispers in my ear and says, I believe the end is near. And then she stands up. And I said, well, it could very well true be nearing the end. But before you go, let me share with you just one thing that I think is super important to chat about. Because I believe that the only way that we can find purpose in life is through the person, life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this book is telling me more about that. And isn't it good to know that Jesus came to earth sinless, never sinned, but took on our sin so that He could be the sacrifice for our sin so that we could have life? She says, that is most encouraging. And here she goes. Which soil was she? I don't care. I care in the sense that I hope she's a fertile soil in which the Word can be implanted and she can walk further in her relationship with Christ or start it brand new. But the reality is that's, that's spirit work. And, and we trust God to do what only He can do with His Word being implanted where He wants it to do. The sower scatters. The Spirit makes it happen. Four quick things. Number one, I'm shutting this to give you all hope that the donuts are soon. <clears throat> Number one, let me encourage you, Redeemer, so liberally, so liberally, trust deeply. So liberally, trust deeply. Do it in your home, do it in your neighborhood, do it in your work, do it on the center aisle of your airplane. Number two, personally for us believers, not related to sowing, but about listening. Mind how you listen. Mind how you listen. As disciples of Jesus, to listen humbly to the Word is to admit that it is the plumb line and that our lives are to adjust to His. Number three. Exercise your hearing. I like endurance sports. I like to uh, see how far I can travel in a day. I know that you can't just start up and do that. It takes some conditioning. Hebrews chapter 5 says that solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. So let me encourage you. Exercise your hearing. Practice the skill of hearing God's Word spoken, preached, read, talked about. Final thing, guard what you listen to. Keeping in mind that the bookends of this parable were listen and hear. Please don't kid ourselves. Let's, let's don't kid ourselves. That we can sprinkle into our lives some content of Scripture and, and cover it with a wet blanket. The content and trappings of the latest podcast, movie, explicit song, whatever the content is from the world and feel like one is going to outweigh the other because what we give our ears, minds, and lives to will resonate in our hearts and develop something that is either for 
or against the things of the Lord. I'm challenged. Listen. Let him who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying. Let's pray. Lord, I confess that I have uh, talked longer than even I would have had the patience to hear and listen to. But I do ask that in spite of the length of this message, You would cause the content of Your Scripture and the content of this exhortation to land on all of the soils of our hearts and may they be fertile so that it might grow and so that we might grow in our confidence to trust that Your Word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, that it will not return void until it's accomplished what You've purposed and You have planted us here that we might scatter Your Word, that it might be planted in others to life. In Jesus' name. Amen.